0: great to uh, welcome our guest speaker this morning, all the way from Durbanville in Cape Town, Pastor Ross Fanniker. So let's stand and give him a hand. And we receive. Amen. Thank you, Ella. Thank you. I want to talk to you about spiritual growth. And spiritual growth sometimes is a fuzzy concept. Um, when we speak about spiritual growth, it's like you know, it's so disconnected from real life. Because in spiritual growth, God, God's intention for us right from the beginning was to transform our hearts. Ezekiel's prophecies, Old Testament prophecies, even Jesus' teaching. You know, discipleship is heart work. It's a transformation of your inner being. God really has a design and has an intention to, to have a new you. And it, it's like those cheap books and courses, have a new you by Thursday type of thing. But, but it's really God's design. I mean, what happens with a, with a new birth? God transforms, takes out your hardened heart and put in a heart of flesh, Ezekiel says. Jeremiah says the same thing. But, but John the Baptist, oh John, when he writes, he says, no, Jesus says you must be born again. It really speaks, speaks about a, a transformation of your nature. It really speaks about a new you. Paul writes it so many times. He says, put off the old self and put on the new self in so many words in Colossians. But God really has a design to transform you. And I, I don't want to speak to people who has been serving Jesus for a while today. Because I'm going to talk to you. Discipleship and spiritual growth is not just an acumen of knowledge and understanding, to know more. I mean, Bill Hybels' church did a great study a few years ago, 2007, um, just about the idea of how do people actually grow, like really? How does spiritual growth really happen in people's lives? Because I can have so many courses and so many things, but after a while you stop growing because honestly, just like with us... (laughs) I can feed you so much stuff, but you only grow up until a point until something else happens. And I want, to, I want to challenge all of you today to really, as I speak, to really evaluate your life in Christ. Not critical, not not, not accusational, but just to say, listen, when last have I grown? And it's easy, for those of you who have been married for a while, you can just ask your wife. She'll say, no, it hasn't happened. <laughs> Still the same guy <laughs> that I married Jacob was one such example. Jacob was a man who met God after deceiving his father, who grew up with the knowledge of God, with a real spiritual dad. And um, he really, he was a, I mean, his name means deceiver or schemer or cheater or something like that, liar. His whole character was shaped in that. His identity, he was named by that. Every time someone calls him, he goes like, hey, cheater, come here. A schemer, a deceiver. So everything about his life spoke that. You know, it's honest. We are known for our character. Our character is shaped by habitual activities. So we know someone as faithful or someone as ambitious or we know someone as as not trustworthy or we know someone as mm, pervert or we know someone as that because of our habitual actions. Your habitual actions become your identity. and, And that's what happened in Jacob's sense as well. Jacob's one of those stories about a man who was a deceiver But literally, that's what he did for a living. He deceived and cheated. That's how he got the inheritance from his father. He stole all his dad's, all his brother's property and money and everything that would have been his ESOs, but he stole it. And that night, he ran away, and he met... um, It's amazing. His father said that, I leave everything to you and my blessing to you. And that evening, as he ran away from home, because his WWF CrossFit brother is going to kill him. (laughs) if he finds Jacob, I can just ESO. It's just like... And he ran away. And God met him in a dream. And then the Lord Almighty descended from heaven to make a a covenant with him. And he woke up that morning and he goes, man, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. God lives here. And in God's promise, you can read it. He said, yes, I affirm. Yes, I'm going to bless you. And everyone's going to be blessed in you. Just like I spoke to your grandfather, Abraham. You'll be a prospered man. You'll be a great man. And then God says, I will enrich you and I will, whatever you do basically will succeed. A covenant means everything that's mine is yours and everything that's yours is mine. And God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And Jacob was really blessed. So he walked very far. He came to Laban. And what he do you reap? It's just the seed everywhere. What else? Wanted that woman, got another one. He said, I'm going to have that as well. And then he enriched himself by scheming. And cheating the whole time. But God prospered him the whole time. He was in relationship with God. And God prospered him, doesn't matter what he did. And then, you know, just a few years down the line, 10, 14 years, we don't really know how long. He has destroyed every relationship with his family on that side, with his wife's father, Laban. Because of the cheating, because of the scheming, because of the contention, because of his enrichment, because of his arrogance... He was eventually pushed away and he had to flee by night again like he did a few years earlier from his own father's house. Why? Because Jacob is Jacob. Because Jacob is what Jacob does. You know, he can run away from Esau, he can run away, but as he journeyed back home with all his, enrich, with all his riches and property, as he came back to, to meet Esau the next day, he did what he always did. He started scheming. Okay, how can I cheat and deceive my brother to not kill me? Because his picture is still the same picture of Esau. Esau is this Bershoch man who's going to rip him to pieces and kill him. And he's, he does what he always does. He schemed and cheated and he'd make plans and stuff. How can I make this work for me? And he sent everyone over the river except himself. And then he went to meet with the Lord. Something which he should have done a long time ago. Because this is a challenge with all of us. Wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> you can't run away from yourself. He can change his circumstances but he's going to bring himself back into his own into the same situation which you always had. Some people always say the reason why your second marriage is exactly like your first marriage is because wherever you go there you are. You take yourself into your You know, you want to write the other she did that that, that that but your second marriage looks exactly like your first marriage because I'm here. <laughs> and Jacob had that whole revelation it's like I can't run away from myself. I am still the same man. Doesn't matter what happened. And then he went over to the Lord to where he met God last time in the house of God in Bethel. And this time he said, God, no, I don't want you. I don't want stuff. I don't want the stuff that you want to bless me with. I have all that now, but still my life is a disaster because I'm me. I am Jacob. I'm not going to leave this place until Jacob is no longer Jacob. My walk must be different, how I conduct myself must be different. And I want people to know me not as the deceiver. I don't want my legacy to be the freaking deceiver. I don't want my kids to be known as the Jacobites, the bunch of deceivers. And you know, God is so gracious because we don't have Jacobites today. We have Israelites. Because that evening, Jacob was transformed from Jacob to Israel. From deceiver to one who conquers, one who, one who is known by God, the prince of God. And his walk was transformed. (laughs) Because he always walked with the balance of arrogance. Look at me, I'm the blessed of God, I'm the prospered of God. And then the Lord, just before he let him go, he just tapped him on the hip. And from that moment onwards, he never ever walked with arrogance, but always with a limp. So that everyone knew that this man has changed, he has met with God. Guys, and, and many of us have walked with the Lord for a long time. I know this is a short introduction, but... This year, by the end of this year, I want your wife to be able to tell me how were you transformed. I want your husband to be able to tell me in which way have you grown. I want your kids to tell me. I want your colleagues at work to to be able to tell me in which way have you grown. Not in arrogant knowledge, not to know more, not a greater demonstration of this or that, but in which way have you transformed so that... Your name is different. You are named, not deceiver, but wow, a man who walks with God and conquers everything, really, in humility. So that there's humility in your character like Jacob had afterwards. So that's our, our ambition. That's our goal. And I want to challenge you with that. So I want to talk about spiritual growth with that in mind. And now I'm going to jump to the New Testament. And I have a tablet that says, I cannot So it's okay. I usually don't preach that long just because... I can't listen that long. So I want to talk to you about the book of Colossians. Now, Colossians, and I want to jump back right into our context. Um, Colossians, the church in Colossae was planted by Paul, and um, he wrote back to this church. He had some rumors, and some people wrote letters to him. In fact, he wrote the same time that he wrote the church, the letters of Ephesus, Philippians, and Colossians were written at the same time carried by the same messenger as he went back to Philippi he dropped these letters off there in fact we also know that there was a letter written to the church in Laodicea but they never got the letter Oh well we don't know about the letter except for the reference in it, we don't have the letter um, but in chapter 1 you'll read about this so the, the church in Colossae was a, they struggled with sensuality with perversion, sexual immorality, the whole city was a pool, the historians write. And we know this because in chapter two, verse 23, 24, it says there that, listen, this, we know this is what you're struggling with. The whole city is one cesspool. It's an immoral city. We know from history that the, the Greco-Roman, wherever the Greeks and the Romans went, especially the Romans, there was perversion. off. So you would walk home. <laughs> so this saved guy walks home from his work on his way to his wife. And he walks past five brothels that were temples. Temple prostitutes were hanging out and say, Borky, we like it. I can get naked. And then he goes like, no, (laughs) that's not going to work. So they're struggling with the sensuality the whole time because this is the whole city is a a, a cesspool. But these guys were saved from that. In Colossians chapter 3, you say, listen, since you have been saved and have been baptized, you no longer should walk as you used to walk because this was the culture of the day. You would have your wife... And they were the temple prostitutes. But your wife is there to raise your kids. And the rest of the city was there for you. type of thing. That was the, the natural culture of the day. It was an immoral culture. And they were struggling with it. And there were two schools. You can see if you read the letter. There were two schools of philology of how do you deal with this. We had the Gnostics. And their answer was, listen, your spirit is the only eternal part of a being. Your spirit will be saved. You'll see that the, the letter's to Hebrews and the, let, uh, and the letters, to Ephesians and the letters to, um, to John, John and letters, all dealt with this idea that who cares, your body, you can do with your body what you want to, but your spirit is, is the real thing. God saves your spirit. He gives you a new spirit. And so you'll see as you read the letter that, that there was a theology in the church that said, listen, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. Your spirit is saved. And, I mean, really, how can a physical act do anything with your spirit? (laughs) Even the book of Romans was addressed because all of them had the same idea. And then, you know, the answer there is, are you crazy? God's going to judge sexually immoral people. And he says it a few times in the book. He says, don't think you're going to get away. God will judge because of that act. So your body really matters. You must remember this. I'm going to say it again. But every spiritual discipline is a bodily Activity. Have you thought about this? You cannot serve God with your spirit without your body being active. That's why worship is a bodily activity. Bible study is a bodily activity. Fasting is a, is a bodily activity. You guys had a long fast for a long time and your bodies are aware of that. Anyway, and then the second school of thought, the first one was a Gnostic idea, and the second school of thought was the idea that, that um, to control these urges of mine to withstand the temptations, I must just inhibit, and discipline, and punish this body in some way. Your rituals, you know, and then in, in the, that came from the Jewish background. The Jewish guy said, "Listen, we know how to deal with sin. You do more things, you know. You have to fast more, and you have to have to yeah, just put just anything, just prevent you from going in." And then Paul said, "Listen, in Colossians what two twenty three says, let's be honest. None of these rituals or feasts." Will they have any change on your heart, your character? Because sin is in the heart. That's the whole idea. So then, then he writes the answer. But I, I'm not going to be able to, to teach through the whole letter. But I just want to read Colossians 1:27 to 29. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing. I thank you, God, that, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher and you are the revealer of truth. And you have the ability to do what none of us can do, God. You have the ability, God, to make truth, to bring truth into our hearts, to give us a revelation that the light of Christ may may truly illuminate our hearts and our minds and grant us the strength to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. He says, to the saints, to the holy ones, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Just want to pause there. Paul is still bedazzled. He's still blown away by the fact that a holy God would live in these pagans. (laughs) He's still blown away by it. You'll see every one of his letters. He goes like, I I don't really know how this happens because the Jews are the chosen people that have always walked with God. But these people were filthy, immoral people worshipping stones and whatever else came along and they were living immorally. And now Christ himself lives inside of them. That's amazing. Even Peter was thrown away by this idea, blown away by this idea in Acts chapter 10. But he says Christ in you the hope of glory. That's how you're being born again. How we, him we proclaim and we warn everyone and we teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Do you get that? Everyone, 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 everyone. Okay. For this I toil, I labor, I work hard, I struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want to just focus on this and I want to bring about There are more, but just six spiritual truths about spiritual growth. And I want you to to please consider your own life. Don't sit here considering your spouse or your colleague or your brother or your mother. But just consider, examine yourself today as we do this. The first one is that spiritual growth, and I love this, does not earn our favor with God. It really doesn't. It says that God chose you and Christ is living inside of you. To whom does he write this? To a congregation that struggles with perversion, with sensuality. I love this. It's not as though they're not loved by God or favored by God, but God chose them before they did anything. That is the gospel. That Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So it's not as though any activity or any spiritual growth or any lack of spiritual growth is going to change anything about you. God loves you and he favors you as you are. In chapter 3, as he writes just quite systematically about spiritual growth, in chapter 3, you'll see that he writes to the church and he says, he writes about two things. They had lots of anger issues and they had lots of, of sexual immoral issues. Verses 5 to 10. That's what they were struggling with and lies, deceit. But in verse 12 to 14, he starts and he says, he says, put on therefore, and then he pauses remind them. He says, listen, this is your response. You've got to grow in love. And then he speaks about how they systematically should grow in in Christ-likeness. He writes, um, he starts with, with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness. He goes on the whole list of how they should grow in godliness. But he says, put on therefore, and then he pauses, and he says, you who are the beloved, holy, and chosen people of God. And I just love that. God writes to me, he says, Ross, you, you have to grow in godliness. But just before you grow in godliness, I just want to remind you that you are loved, you are chosen, and I do regard you as holy before anything else happens. And it's so necessary. Some of us have been living for quite some time with a weakness that we, that we are aware of, or maybe your spouse is aware of, maybe freaking everyone else is aware of it, because, you know, you, the old truism." You can deceive some of the people some of the time, but not all of the people all of the time. There's just not a way for you to do that. So everyone's aware of your Jacobness, something in you that is a problem that causes destruction. Sin always causes destruction, whether it's lying, whether it's cheating, whether it's stealing, whether it's arrogance, whether it's a lack of humility and just being teachable. It always causes destruction in relationships. But this is what Paul writes to the church. He says, guys, you are loved by God. You are chosen by God. He has favored you in one verse, chapter 1 verse 12. You are those people. Before you do anything, just know this. None of your efforts are going to earn credit in God's eyes. You are loved and favored. You have been transformed. You have been cleansed and brought back. And I just love this about him. God chose you to make his glory known. By pouring Christ inside of you, the hope of glory. Nothing you can do is going to transform God's love or favor for you. It's just absolutely awesome. And then the second truth there, and this is something that we see, and this the thrust of the, the verse, is the fact, what is the goal of spiritual growth? The fullness of Christ, the maturity of Christ. Not a few chosen ones, not the apostle in Brazil, not the super prophet Andre, not just a few, not the super humble Corby, no one, everyone, everyone. Paul says, my ambition and my goal is quite simply God's ambition and goal, to present everyone mature in Christ. And we know this because we know Romans 8.28 very well. And I want you to know that it's for you, and I'm speaking to you, and that's why it doesn't matter how long you've been serving God, don't think you have arrived. Don't stagnate. And it's not an earning type of thing that you should earn anything or that God doesn't love you or anything like that. It's not that you're not useful enough. The point is, God said that I've predestined you to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's his goal. It's always been his goal. Paul writes, he says, the reason why I go into the presence of God, and it's quite a deep thing when he writes in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, he says, but this is the thrust that I want to bring out there, he says, as we behold him, we become like him. The whole idea is for us to be transformed into the image of Christ. We know one day, we don't know exactly how we will be, but we know that one day when he returns, we'll see him as he is, and then we will be as he is. 1 John 3, verse 2. So the whole point of spiritual growth from the very beginning of your of your salvation, the reason why Christ lives inside of you is so that you can be transformed into the image of Christ. I want to ask you, do, do you know what Christ looks like? Every time we present in Bible school, I so love this point, because I go like, you know, you ask people, but this is quite a simple answer, even if you're grade three. What is the point of spiritual growth, or what's the point, why and then the answer is just Jesus, you know. It doesn't matter if you're in Sunday school. I don't know if you remember that. Teacher asks anything you don't know. It's either love or Jesus is the answer, you know. It's like, <laughs> well, no, 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 I weren't listening. Jesus, are you right, Johnny? <laughs> so if I were to ask you, what's the point of spiritual growth? And you fell asleep and i ask you, what's the point of spiritual growth? And you go, Jesus. And you're like, um, yes, you're right. So I'm going to ask you, what does Jesus look like? What does Jesus look like? And that's why point love. <laughs> Jesus looks like love. That's great. It's <laughs> yeah, Anyway. It's so funny. Anyway. But the point of spiritual growth is really this. It's not a fuzzy thing. It's a person. To look like the person. To represent the person. That's why Paul says and when Paul writes it, you have to ask yourself, listen, man, this man has accomplished so much for God over the years. Just look at the legacy that we still have today of his work. Not very, not many people in the world have that type of legacy. And then Paul says, in Philippians chapter 3, just as he says, listen, I'm about to pour out my cup and I'm going to pass away. And, you know, he says, I'm in a Roman prison. This time I'm going to die. And then he says, listen, verse one twenty-one. he says, I don't really know whether I want, you know, it's difficult for me at the moment. I want to be with him, so I want to die. I want to be beheaded, but I also want to be with you. Probably because of your prayers, I'm going to stay with you. And he says, but it's okay for me, whether I live or die, for me to live is Christ. And then verse chapter 3, he says, but this is my ambition. I forget everything, all my success of the past. I shove it all away, but I, I stretch myself out for the goal of the upward prize of knowing Christ jesus my lord and for paul that was life i want to know him i want to know him the power of his resurrection to share his suffering i just want to know him because that is the goal of spiritual growth is to know him and to become like him to know him and to become like him that's why paul when he peter when he writes to the church in rome he writes first peter 3 12 or 18 he says the same thing he says i pray that you may grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just grow in that. Study Him. Behold Him. Every time you open the Bible, every time you pray, every time you come to church, every time you fellowship, every time you witness, every time you suffer, (laughs) the purpose is to identify with Christ, the hope of glory. To know Him and become like Him. To seek Him. And that that is the goal of spiritual growth. It's not a fuzzy goal, it's a person. And it's a study. And and I want to encourage you, for those of you, been reading the bible for a while maybe it will be good to just actually make a list what is jesus like what is jesus like because that's what we witness what he does and who he is what is jesus like and that's the goal of spiritual growth paul says everyone and i want to guys some of you maybe walked it for the first time in church here today and i want to say great that is your goal to be transformed into the image of christ it's not a fuzzy goal it's a real goal it's a person that you may look like him that you behold him and if you want to compliment the guys in the church see for ways in which you can recognize listen you look so much like jesus in this way and then you go like thank you thank you god humility i'm not there yet but i'm there i'm growing in that area that's what we compliment one another on that's what we affirm that's what we call out spiritual growth is is mystical and what I mean with mystical is we don't exactly know how it is. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a concrete science. That's why, you know, agnostics and atheists just shove the gospel and everything else away because it can't be explained. It's mystical, but it's measurable. Jacob was transformed into the image of his Lord when he wrestled with him through that night. It was mystical that it happened. But, dude, it happened. How do I know? Because this guy doesn't lie anymore. He doesn't scheme. He gives me a straight answer. He takes the punishment of his effort. He goes up to Esau the next day and says, Listen, Eso, it's me. I stole your stuff. I stole your stuff. Deal with it. Deal with me. Whatever you do, you know, I have my stuff. And then Eso says, Dude, I've forgiven you a long time ago. You went away from the house of God. I've been staying here forever. It's okay. Let's just move on. But it's a measurable thing. It's not a fuzzy thing. Spiritual growth is... is You can see it. You can see how Jacob walked. Jacob no longer walks with arrogance or pride, but this guy has a limp. And he suddenly recognizes that there are other people with limps in life, and I'm not there to take their stuff, but I'm patiently dealing with them. It's measurable. You can see the growth. It's a real growth. We measure, Dallas Willard, someone who I love to read, and every time I read him, I'm just going, God... Can I be saved, please? (laughs) He writes the most simple ways, but I I just feel like a sinner because I I am still being transformed into the image of Christ. He's walked the road for a while. He passed away early last year. But one of the last things that he he wrote is quite simple, and they asked him about how do we measure whether a church is successful or whether spiritual transformation or discipleship, whatever word you want to use, how does it, we actually measure that? And he says, but it's quite simple. it's easy pastors always measure the number of people in here and the number of this and amount of stuff. And that, that's measurables that people used to know is the church working or not. But he says, you know, we all know we can have a crowd at the soccer field or at a, you know, U2 concert or at a church. It just says that the production is desirable in some sense. But how do we measure whether someone really has been transformed into the image of Jesus? And he says, it's good people measure baptisms and conversions. It's great. He says, but let's be honest. If you measure how frequently do I still scream at my wife? How frequently do I still gamble? How frequently do I still fall for the temptation to click on the button to look at naked women on my cell phone or on the internet? Those are the measurables of whether I am growing into Christ likeness. And it's not sin always. It's how frequently do I, in compassion, stop and talk to someone next to the road. So it's not just measuring, not sinning. It's measuring, am I growing in humility, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness? Am I growing in Christ-likeness? And that's measurable. And it's especially measurable in the close relationships around you. Because those people see you and see Christ in you. They can see Christ forming inside of you. God really has on his heart to transform you. He's making you new into the image of Christ. But this is my next point. It doesn't happen automatically. And we know this. How do I know this? Because you visit old age homes for people who have been serving Jesus for 50, 60 years. They've been going to church for more than 70 years. And you have a conversation and the Tani is bitter and she's a racist. And you go like, you have to ask yourself, how is it possible that you have been reading the Bible... And you've been in church your whole life, but you are bitter, cynical, and a racist. Like, venomously. How is it possible? And the answer is very simple. Spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically. We know this because we know Jacob. <laughs> we know this because we know Peter. <laughs> what a loser. What a hero. When he, met, when he was shaken, when there was a deliberate effort... For him to deal with his cowardice, with his arrogance. And it was a real moment. And it's amazing for me. It's deliberate effort. Um and that's if in the simplest way, that's the reason why Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, why so many of the letters are written in the Bible? Because it gives clear instructions for growing in godliness. James especially. James especially, it's Christianity for dummies. It's to grow in love. But it's amazing. Yeah, he says, listen, and this is what Paul says. Paul says, listen, your spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically. That's why I write to you. That's why I disciple you. That's why I warn you. That's why I'm praying for you fervently every single day for hours because I want to see Christ formed in you. I have to see it. And he says, listen, I labor, I struggle, there's energy. But praise God, it's not just me. And this is what I want to move to. But just before I move with this, it's deliberate effort. Just want to, before I move on with God's part, if you read Galatians chapter 3, he starts with, after he says, listen, all these central rules, all these rules won't deal with the sensuality and the perversion in your heart. But then he says, 3 verse 1, he says, but this is what I say to you. You who struggle with sexual immorality, set your heart on things above. Seek the things above. Sort of sounds like what Jesus said to the guys in the Sermon on the Mount as well. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek the things that are above. I want you to desire, not the fleshly stuff, but you must work at setting your affections on the things that are godly, the things that are above, the things that are heavenly, the things that are beautiful, the the kindness, compassion, beauty, the humility, the, 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 the beauty of Christ. Set your heart, your affections. And then he says, secondly, you are tempted the whole time because of your thoughts and stuff. Set your mind on the things above. I want you to deliberately, purposefully focus to meditate. You are so prone to think about you know, the one that's there on the road next and we're going walk home. But I want you to purposefully set your mind. And it's deliberate discipline, meditation, memorization. Set your mind on things above. And this is put off immorality and fleshliness put off anger put it away from you and then he says set put on love and then he builds on love and i mentioned it a few times but it's so beautiful he says love starts with compassion it doesn't start with if you don't he says it first of all starts with feeling for someone every single healing every single multiplication of jesus in the bible every single teaching of jesus in the bible every single time before he sends out the, the the guys as sheep among the wolves Every time he does that, the Bible first mentions that Jesus moved with compassion, did something. Healing, miracles, all that stuff. And then it's followed by kindness. You're feeling in your heart, but a deliberate kindness. You do something which someone doesn't deserve. Humility means you don't do it in arrogance or in presumption, but you actually do it in humility. Esteeming the other's needs more important than yourself. And that you do, he says, with meekness. Self-control, other translation, gentleness, other translation. But the fact that you don't overburden everyone else with your awesomeness, but you become like a little child, someone who's less than them, to make them look great. And then he says, then you bear with the weakness of the weak, and you forgive the offenses of the sinners. And it's so beautiful for me. But I want you to see this. It's deliberate. It happens with deliberate effort at a deliberate goal. And this is what Paul is saying to them. Guys, I know you struggle. You just want to crape everything. I know. But this is how you grow out of it. It's not just to contain it. You grow out of it. And he says, but I want you to know that it's not just your own work. Paul says, it's not just my own effort. It's not just my own awesomeness. It's not just I working. But it's God who works in you. Philippians 2:12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13, because it is God who works in you, giving you the desire and the ability to fulfill His will. So it's not just me. It's discipleship and spiritual growth is not some self help, fuzzy, new balance zzz, type of meditation, yoga stuff. It is God at work within you. Always God at work within you. God is always at work in you, giving you a desire. If you feel frustrated with your sinfulness, if you feel you have a compassion to actually do something, then just recognize God is at work in me, giving me the desire and the ability to fulfill His will. It's God working within me. It doesn't happen automatically, but it happens. As we train ourselves in godliness, it is God who transforms me into the image of Christ. I mentioned it earlier, 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we behold Him, we become like Him. We have a real meeting with Jesus every time you open the Bible to, to read and pray. We have a real meeting as we look at him. And that's what Moses, Paul's example of Moses. He says, Moses went into the table of of meeting the whole time. And this, that's the whole context of Second Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Moses walked in in the old covenant. And every time he, he looked, he spent time with God. When he came out, he was radiant. And he was like, glory was shining. But then Paul comments this, and this is beautiful. He's quoting some other guys. He puts a veil over his face. Do not, when we think, do not freak out the people that oh, the glory of God, you know, because his face is shining. He says I, he covered his face so, because the glory was fading in the Old Testament the whole time. That means it was only temporal change. But this is Paul's argument. He says every time we come to church to meet with God, every time we, we engage in service with Christ, every time we go on a mission with Christ, every time we read the Bible and pray, every time, we are transformed and this is his line from glory to glory from one degree of glory to another degree of glory every time we do it you are being shaped into the image of Christ if you deliberately seek him to transform you because God is in business of renewal that's why Christ died to transform you into his glory we lost our glory in the garden of Eden Jesus came to restore it to make you new it's his intention to make you new says is God's work inside of us not just me, God is working inside of you and then the last point spiritual growth is teamwork guys, I just love what Paul says here and it's so simple but so missable, Paul says you have a problem with your sensuality, I'm stuck far away in a prison, but he says this is what I'm doing, I labor with all the energy of God I labor for your deliverance I'm working for your transformation. I'm writing, I'm praying, I'm doing everything I can that you may be transformed. And I just love that about him. It's like, it's not just me. And he's saying to you guys, you're not just delivered to yourself. It's okay. You're not just delivered to yourself that you must sort out your own problems. Sorry, Stefan, you have a situation. Sorry about that. See you. May God be gracious to you. He's saying, no, I'm engaging you that you may grow in Christ-likeness spiritual growth is a team effort it's always been a team effort, it's always been the purpose of church Hebrews chapter 10 I'm not going to give the context, beautiful context actually, Ten twenty-five, 25 24 and 25 he says listen guys I want you to not miss the assemblies don't skip the assemblies, don't miss the coming together of the saints and his purpose is not it's not the purpose of the writing at all actually but he says, I want you to come. I know that you're being persecuted. I know you're being shoved away. I know that there's fear. But come to church. Church in Rome, Hebrews chapter, your Hebrew congregation. Come to church. And he says, this is the purpose, that you may consider how to stir one another to love and good works. He's saying the reason for the coming to church is to grow in love, godly character, love, and good works. Efficient ministry. He says, that you must come to grow in that. But I want you to know what he says. He doesn't say, come that you may grow. <laughs> he says, come to stir one another to love and good works. Come that you may, when someone comes to your small group, or when you meet with someone, the purpose of your coming is to stir him or her in good works. Stir them, help them grow in Christ-likeness and help them sharpen their, their skills and help them to be more efficient to represent Christ well in their conduct, help them. The purpose of coming is to encourage one another and to stir, to build one another up. I want you to know that, and I know this is, sounds like one of those infomercials, but wait, there's more. But there is more. He says, don't come to stir one another to love and good work. He says, I want you to come. Don't miss the assembly because you must consider how you ought to stir one another to love and good works. The word consider there is the word katanio. It's a beautiful Greek word. I'm going to do this all. How many of you know the... The, the, the statue of the thinker, the denker, the word kata neo is that, that picture. Can you see this? Okay. So he sits like this. The, the whole concept is, the, he says, head bowed down in thought. That's what kata neo means. Head bowed down in thought. This is amazing. The author of Hebrews says to the church, listen, I want you to have your head bowed down in thought, deep thought, so that you may be effective, and stirring one another in love and good works. He says, church, spiritual growth is teamwork. It's not an individual thing. We have to be conformed into the image of Christ. It's really simple. God gives one a gift of this and one a gift of this and one a gift of this. Think what you have so that when you come to church, you may stir the others to better represent Christ, to grow in real Christ-likeness and also in skills and so they may be efficient. That's what church is all about. That's the reason why you don't miss church because when you're not there, you're going to be missed. Sorely missed, not just on the check sheet. But you'll be missed because God really graces you for the growth of others. Spiritual growth is team. I'm so blessed for Paul's letter here that he's actually, he's laboring with all the effort. He can't get to them, but he sends messengers so They he whatever he can because that church must grow to outgrow sensuality. So that in that congregation, in that community of Colossae, they may be the light on a hill with this deep darkness of immorality all around. People can see the beauty of holiness, Christ in this community. And that's the purpose why he's writing to them. Guys, you've got to outgrow this. Don't contain it. Don't struggle it. Just outgrow it. Grow in holiness. Grow in real love. Don't grow in lust. Grow in real love. Don't fight the sin. Grow in godliness. Spiritual growth summary Doesn't matter And I want to say this over and over to someone Because some of us If you're anything like me You are so aware of your shortcomings You don't need your spouse to point it out to you When your spouse points it out Or when your friends point it out to you You're sort of defensive Because you you know this man It's like they're pressing a button Which is loaded with explosion Because I'm so aware of this (laughs) Know this That whether you grow or don't grow in godliness, God loves you and he's already poured his favor inside of you. Christ is living inside of you regardless. You are God's beloved, holy, and chosen person, regardless of whether you grow or don't grow. Secondly, spiritual growth is real. Its goal is a person. It's Christ himself. And if this is all you're taking out of today, then praise God. Your goal is not to grow in this or not to grow in that, not to grow in articulating, not to grow in better this or better evangelism. Yes, all of those things are important, but it's all contained in the study and the person of Christ himself. Christ is the goal of spiritual growth. He is the goal. And so it's not mystical, it's measurable. Because you can see in which ways you have grown more like Jesus. That's a good question to ask your cell group if they know you well. In which ways have I grown more like Jesus. Don't ask them the other stuff. Just ask them in which ways have I grown more like Jesus. And that's a great thing. They can tell you, well, you really like this, da, da da da. And then the next one, it requires real and deliberate effort. It's not automatic. You have to exercise yourself unto godliness. First Timothy chapter four. Put make every effort, Peter says, Second Peter one verse three Make every effort to add to your faith. Da 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 da. da. So it's effort, it's real stuff. And then it's God's work. God is the one who does it in you. Don't try and manufacture it. You wait on him in humility. Make him grow. And the last one, it's teamwork. Tell the people around you, listen, this is my goal. Help me to grow in Christ likeness in this area. Or ask them, And what can you help me with? How can I help you? <laughs> what can you help me with? We come together to stir one another to love and do good works.